I'd like to begin with a word of congratulations to the girls basketball team of West Forsyth High School who won. <clears throat> For those who don't yet know, they won the North Carolina 4A State Basketball Championship yesterday. That is a big, big deal. Let's, let's <laughs> congratulate them once again. That's a huge accomplishment. Thank you all again for being here this morning. If you've got a bulletin, a worship guide on the way in, you'll notice when you open it, there's a little perforated tear-off strip entitled Ham here. We always appreciate it if you fill that out and let us know you're here, and you can drop it in the basket that'll come around at the end, and you'll see some upcoming events in there as well. Um, <clears throat> this is a really exciting time in the life of our church. We are in the midst of what we call our Beyond Initiative, and as part of this, we are making a number of changes to the building, as you noticed when you came in this morning, and I hope you weren't too inconvenienced by being able to access Noah's Ark from a different location. Uh, but in just a few months, as you'll see on the screen, most everything should be complete. Um, <clears throat> and we hope by September that is the case, if it does not rain for the next three months like it did the last three months. Just want to say, if, you, if this is new to you, uh, we had a capital campaign back in November in which we raised uh, $3.7 million in three-year pledges toward our goal of $4.25 million. If you'd like to know more or participate in that in some way, there are brochures in the, uh, name tag, on the name tag tables as you make your way toward the, uh, what's left of the coffee bar right now because so much of it is under construction. But uh, we are really, really excited about that. We continue our study this morning on soul shaping. The title comes from a book by Keith Drury called The Soul Shaper. And in this book, there are 22 spiritual practices, typically called spiritual disciplines. Many of them go back to the very earliest days of the Christian church. Some of these disciplines in the book are, are more recent, and we have selected nine of those as part of our sermon series and small group series. Think of spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices such as those we're studying in this series as things that aid our spiritual growth. Think of God as the great master potter and ourselves as the clay. These spiritual disciplines or practices, they don't earn our salvation, but they make us more malleable in the loving hands of the master potter who is working in each of our lives with a goal in mind. The goal is to conform us more fully to the image and likeness of his son, Jesus. And these spiritual practices often aid in that process. Now, in approaching the subject of spiritual disciplines, I want to stress something I stressed a couple weeks ago. Two important theological concepts that I think are particularly important to understand when we talk about spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices. The first is justification. Justification could be defined as an instantaneous act of God in which he calls a sinner just and made righteous because of Jesus' suffering on our behalf. As the book of Romans says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The apostle Paul wrote, 
that God made him to be sin who knew no sin, Jesus, so that in him we might be made the righteousness of God. This is an instantaneous act that occurs when we embrace the saving work of Jesus as the Spirit of God works in us and God declares us just. Far from perfect in our daily lives, but in the eyes of God, just. Now, the other theological term that we really need to understand, lest we get confused when we talk about these spiritual disciplines, is sanctification. Theologian Wayne Grudem defines sanctification as a progressive work of God and man, and that is man, woman, boy, and girl, Progressive work of God and a human being that makes us more and more free from sin and more like Christ in our actual lives. Now notice two things in that definition. First of all, it's progressive. Sanctification is a work God does that continues throughout our, our lives. It's progressive. It's ongoing. And it's a work, he notes, of God and man. That is, it's a work in which God very much involves us. Your will and mine is involved in our sanctification. We will grow spiritually to a large extent to the degree that our hearts are seeking after God. And it is the spiritual disciplines we're talking about that aid this process. Suppose for a moment we had a, a room full of 100 people. And we knew that every person in that room was definitely, without a doubt, a Christian. Every person in that room is equally justified. Maybe some people who've, who've embraced God's salvation only one week, others 30 years. But no one's more justified than another. Each one has been justified by God through faith in what Jesus did, having embraced what he did on the cross where he bore the judgment for our sin. God calls us righteous. But in this room, while all are equally justified, not all are equally sanctified. There could be a person who's been a Christian, a justified person, only one year, but is further along in sanctification than someone who's been a Christian 30 years. Because it is a progressive work that very much involves us. Now, the reason I stress this definition is that when we talk about spiritual disciplines, especially the one we're looking at today, it is important to understand that spiritual disciplines, these practices, in no way earn or merit our justification. Our justification is based on what Jesus did for us that we could never do. However, these practices, the, these disciplines, aid our ongoing sanctification, the process of our being more conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Now, the one we're talking about today is restitution. And I mentioned a couple weeks ago when we decided to use the book we're using as a guide, there are 22 spiritual disciplines there. And we're only planning nine sermons. So I took time to study and pray and seek the Lord, and I came up with my list of nine. And unbeknownst to me, uh, David Holcomb on our staff had developed his own list of nine that thought would be particularly good for the church. So, and our lists were very different. Uh, we were at an impasse. And so we, we had to come to a decision, and we decided to have an arm wrestling contest. <laughs> and I lost nine out of nine to David Holcomb, as you might guess. And so he chose the topics we're doing, and it, 
It, the bottom of my list was the one we did a couple weeks ago on secrecy. Right after that at the bottom of my list was the one on restitution. I've never done a message on restitution, didn't know uh, there was much about it in the Bible. But that's where we are this morning. Restitution could be defined, as you see on the screen by uh, Keith Drury, is going back and making things right for things you took. That is something you've stolen. Things you took or people you hurt. It's restoring to the original owner what is rightfully theirs, be it property, respect, or reputation. And certainly, uh, restitution is a discipline in humility, completely incompatible with pride. It's a humbling thing to go to someone and make restitution. Now, it should be said that in the Old Testament, restitution was a per pretty familiar concept to Jewish people. In the book of Exodus, chapter 22, for example, Moses is giving the people of Israel God's laws. And he says, if a man causes a, a field or vineyard to be grazed over, he lets his beast loose in it, it feeds in another man's field, he shall make restitution. If a fire breaks out in someone's field that you've caused, he who started the fire shall make restitution. And we go on and on with laws. And uh, uh, one of the laws of restitution is if a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. Now, we get to the New Testament, we don't see laws of restitution. What we see is... The Holy Spirit working in the heart of the one that comes to Jesus, and we're called to live by what the New Testament calls the royal law, the law of love. Love your neighbor as yourself. And now we come to this passage about Zacchaeus that Matthew read just a moment ago. Found in the Gospel of Luke chapter 19, Jesus is going through uh, Jericho, he's passing through, and there was this man named Zacchaeus, and as the scripture tells us, he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. In Jesus' time, tax collectors were often Jewish people who worked for the Roman government to collect taxes among the Jews. They were often very much disliked, even despised by the Jews, because they had a reputation for collecting more than was necessary and skimming all of that off the top as a bonus for themselves. Zacchaeus was not only a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector. And you can learn what the people thought of him in verse 7 in the passage when they say, as Jesus goes to his home, he's gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. That was a reputation that Zacchaeus had among the Jews, among the Jewish community, this rich man. Jesus comes to his home for dinner. Others gathered there. And scripture doesn't tell us what Jesus said, but it becomes clear that he has come to believe that his dinner guest named Jesus is the Messiah. And so, Zacchaeus stood up, the Bible says in verse 8, and says, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Maybe this Jewish man knew the book of Exodus and said, well, if you steal an uh, ox, it's fivefold, a sheep, it's fourfold. I'll take the sheep restitution. I love the fact that he said, Lord, if I've defrauded anyone, I'll restore it fourfold. I can just see Jesus smiling and thinking, yes, if you have. Certainly, he knew his heart. Jesus saw his heart, though, and Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. 
since he also is the son of Abraham. The point is simply this. Restitution is a fruit of genuine repentance. Maybe you've experienced this, those of you who are Christians here. Sometimes when you, you, you come to faith in Jesus, God allows you to see things in your life that you never thought about much before. And sometimes those things call for restitution. I was a freshman in college when someone shared with me the little campus crusade track for spiritual laws. And I prayed with a, a, a friend, another student, to ask Jesus onto the throne of my life. And I had a lot of joy, and, and I don't remember how long after that this happened. It could have been the following year uh, through the process of getting involved in a Bible study. But something came to my mind that I'd not thought about in a long time. It's something I did in high school. When I was a high school student, I stole something. I, uh, I had a friend who thought it was cool to shoplift, and though I was very fearful of that, I walked into a grocery store and picked up a little plastic cigarette lighter, probably cost a dollar, not much more, and snuck out of the store and did not pay for it. And now I've made this decision in college, and that comes back to my mind. Well, this is pre-internet, pre-cell phone. I was in a different city. It was difficult to even uh, recall or find out the name of that store and the address and all that. I finally came, came up with what I thought it was, put a, a, a little bit of cash, a dollar or two in an envelope, mailed it to the place. Now, someone would laugh and say, that's crazy. That'll never get to the store, never get to the right person. And I wrote a little note, said, I've become a Christian. I, I stole this. I need to return it. But the wonderful thing that happened is that it was very freeing for me. There was a joy. There was a, a, a liberty in taking that step that might have seemed pretty dumb to someone else. Restitution can often be a fruit of genuine repentance. But as I said, we don't read about restitution much in the New Testament. We see Zacchaeus uh, making uh, this offer of restitution. There is a word that we must understand, though, as followers of Jesus, that is related to restitution. It is the more important word, and it is the word repentance. And I want to take just a moment to stress the importance of this word, what it means for us as followers of Jesus Christ, perhaps those who are not yet followers of Jesus Christ, because I think it is a much-neglected topic and a much-neglected word. We could define repentance, as I believe it's presented to us in the New Testament, this way. A change of mind and convictions rooted in the fear of God and sorrow for sin. When accompanied by faith in Jesus, it results in a turning from sin to God. Repentance is not mere remorse. Remorse is regret. It's guilt for something we've done uh, wrong. In our world today, we, we know, we're seeing it all the time, uh, sin being exposed, especially in recent years, sexual sin, some abuse of another person. We've seen this with politicians, with entertainers, with athletes, and yes, in the church world. And what we often see when someone's sin is brought into public light and exposed 
often we see denial. Sometimes we see remorse. A person will say something like, I messed up. I made a mistake. I messed up. There's remorse. Very rarely do we see repentance. Repentance is a turning. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 15, Jesus uses the, the word repent and repentance a couple of times. And he's telling these little parables. And his point is that there's joy among the angels in heaven over one sinner who does what? Repents. He repeats that. And then he tells the parable of the prodigal son. And he talks about a son who leaves his father, takes his inheritance, goes and wastes it with riotous living, and then turns to go back to his father and says this, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of the hired servants. That is repentance. That is a turning back. Repentance is what Jesus talked about when he said, You've got, to become, turn, you've got to turn and become like little children in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. It involves humility. It is this humble recognition of sin, a turning back, a change of mind and convictions rooted in the fear of God and sorrow for sin. Jesus preached repentance. You see that in the Gospel of Mark. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. The Apostle Peter preached repentance in his great sermon on the day of Pentecost. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. We saw Hannah's baptism this morning. If you've never been baptized, it's very important. It's not to be equated with your salvation. Salvation is through faith in Jesus alone, but he calls us to be baptized. The Apostle Paul preached repentance. Jesus' call to all disciples is to take this message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins and proclaim it to all nations. The last thing that should be said is this. Repentance is not a feeling or an emotion that we can work up. Repentance is a response to the grace of God working in us, illumining our minds, as we see in the second sentence on the screen that Paul says God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. So repentance is the key idea. Restitution is a fruit of it. And when repentance is genuine, sometimes restitution will be a fruit. Some years ago, this was pre-River Oaks. My wife and I, the church we were in Winston-Salem, Rinalda, um, were involved there and serving in a number of ways. And um, one day I met someone new in the church. Uh, this individual was outwardly impressive, articulate, uh, sharp-looking guy, uh, very outgoing. I remember conversing with him and, and being somewhat impressed, but soon discovered he was a con artist, and he defrauded a number of people out of money in the church. The, the, the instance that bothered me most right before he disappeared was that of an elderly couple who I knew well, who loved the Lord, loved people, had huge hearts, generous people, not wealthy people. And he had taken from them uh, some thousands of dollars. Well, 
I was glad when he disappeared. Um, didn't see him for years. Fast forward, and River Oaks has begun. And I was here one morning, and someone came up to introduce a first-time guest. And my, to my complete surprise, it was this man. And um, he kind of pulled me aside and said, you know, um, the Bible teaches that, that God forgives us and he forgives and forgets, right? Bygones or bygones. And hey, I, I kind of like it here. You know, I think I might want to come here. Just want to be sure, um, you know, we're okay that, that uh, you know, what's in the past is in the past and, you know, as God takes our sins away, right? <sighs> I, I remember taking a long time to answer his question. I don't remember exactly what I said, but I remember the, the, the gist of it. That I said to him, you know, you're right. God does remove our sins. He removes as far as the east is from the west when there's genuine repentance. But, you know, genuine repentance has evidence it has fruit. And I think in your case, one of the ways that I would feel good that your repentance was genuine is knowing that you have paid back, and I named that elderly couple. And I said, and you know, I'd be happy to call them and just confirm that you've done that, and you'd be certainly welcome to come here. And I've never seen him since. Often, restitution is necessary. It doesn't earn our salvation. It didn't earn Zacchaeus' salvation. But it was a fruit of genuine repentance. And further, restitution is a fruit of genuine faith. Now, the passage could be a little confusing if we don't know uh, the whole picture of the gospel in the New Testament. Because when Zacchaeus says, Lord... Half my goods I give to the poor. If I've defrauded anyone, I'll pay him fourfold. Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, it would, it would appear almost that Jesus is saying, Okay, based on what you did, you're saved. That would be a terrible mistake, and that is not the case. It would also be a mistake to think Jesus is saying because you did that and you're also Jewish, a son of Abraham. That would be a terrible mistake. Jesus makes it clear in the Gospels that there were Jews who called themselves sons or descendants of Abraham who were not believers. What does he mean here? What he means is that Zacchaeus has placed faith in the gospel, through the Messiah. Now look at Galatians chapter 3 and verse 7 for a moment. I'm going to read the two verses that follow it to give a little more complete picture. The Apostle Paul is writing here about the fact that both Gentiles and Jews, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, are brought into the family of faith and rightly called, because of their faith, sons of Abraham. Abraham's known because of his faith in God. He was considered righteous, and it's the same for us. Know then that it is those who have, who, of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, 
foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, And you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Jesus is saying, He's a son of Abraham because of his faith. Now, restitution does not earn our salvation. It's one way of showing the genuineness of our repentance and the genuineness of our faith. It does not earn our justification. It does aid our sanctification. Often, once restitution is made, people experience a new happiness a new joy. It's because we're more malleable clay in the hands of the master potter. And I'll say this. I found that this call for for restitution, which can be so humbling and sometimes embarrassing for us to take these steps, but it can be necessary throughout our growth, our sanctification as Christians. In fact, I'll tell you, that when I was reading the book we're, we're using, uh, The Soul Shaper, back in August, I came to the recognition of my own need to take a step like this, a step of restitution, restoration with someone. And it goes back quite a few years. I'd been in a meeting with a group of Christian leaders several years ago when a, a subject was brought up by someone, this individual had been very much uh, hurt, injured by, by something done, and as this, this individual was sharing this, I realized, I wonder if something I did might have caused that to happen. Something I said to someone. I wonder if I could have been the cause. And I, I thought to myself, I don't think I was. I don't think that's very likely. And so in that setting, I didn't say anything. I kept it to myself. I thought about it again over the years, and I kind of thought, well, I don't really think I'm to blame, so I don't really think I need to do that. And then I read the book, the chapter on restitution, the one I don't like. (laughs) I read the chapter. It came to me again, and this time it, it, it seemed to come more forcefully. And I talked to my wife about it. And my wife knows I can be a little overly obsessive on things. She said, you're being too sensitive. You said, you talk to so-and-so, just going to laugh and say, that is just no big deal. But in this time, in this instance, I, I went with what I thought to be the Holy Spirit rather than my wife, although usually the two are the same. <laughs> but I just couldn't get free of the, this little burden I felt. And so I, I called this person, met with this person. We talked it out. My wife was right. We did just laugh better friends than ever, but boy, I was glad I got that off my plate, off my soul. It continues sometimes throughout life. doesn't earn our salvation, doesn't guarantee it. It makes us more malleable clay in the hands of the master potter, and it's one of the ways the Holy Spirit keeps moving us along in the progress of being conformed to the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. I want to give just a brief caution before we close. There's a time not to go to someone when you know something is wrong, something you've done uh, has been wrong. For example, if, you, uh, if you're with three friends and you slander, 
gossip about a mutual friend, a fourth friend who's not there. And you later feel guilty. And you think, well, I'll go to the fourth friend and say, you know what? I just got to tell you, I confess, I slandered you, I gossip about you, and I want you to know I'm sorry, forgive me. How's it going to make that person feel? Not very good. The right thing to do is to go back to the three people to whom you spoke and ask their forgiveness. In the book, The Soul Shaper, Keith Jury points out there, there are times not to go back and dredge up something that could cause wrong feelings or harm with people or, or make the other person feel worse just to make yourself feel a little bit better. I would also say this, if you're a little bit like me, uh, don't be overly obsessive with yourself trying to dig up things from your past. Focus on faith in Jesus Christ. Focus on the gospel and what he's done for you. Focus on being filled with, controlled by the Holy Spirit. As you study his word, he is more than able to show you if he's calling you to make restitution for something. And it may help to ask these questions. Number one, is there something I've taken that is stolen that was not mine? And there you go. Is there anyone I've hurt and whose forgiveness I've not sought? If there's something directly between the two of you, is my conscience clear? Ask the Lord to help you live with an easily convicted heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Would you join me as we pray about these things? Father, we come in the name of our Lord Jesus. First, I want to pray for anyone here who has not yet experienced the miracle of your justification. That you would show that person today that Jesus Christ is the way and the only way, the way and the truth and the life. Bring that person to an awareness of the completion of what Jesus has done for us and give them the faith to receive it. Lord, for those of us who are your followers, would you show us if there's some step that we need to take that has been a stumbling block in our spiritual growth, something that needs to be restored? You who lead your sheep, would you guide us in this, we pray in Jesus' name.